Good morning, everyone. You're really excited. Let's try it again. Good morning. There we go. That's a little better. That's good. It's uh, it's fall, isn't it? All of a sudden, it's a little chillier. You know, you got to get your coat on occasionally when you get out. But uh, it's fall. I love fall. We got a, had a chance to go apple picking yesterday. Anybody been apple picking? No. Does anybody pick apples here? Just one person. A couple of you. Okay. Uh, I love apple picking with my family yesterday. It was great. I love fall. We're going to talk actually today a little bit about fruit. I think the last time I was here, I talked about fruit. So it's not that like I'm a fruitaholic or something. It just happens to be the passage we're on. We're in a series uh, that's been really a long series together, uh, working through the book of Matthew. So one of the things that we really value here is the scripture. And we value digging into the scripture and understanding who Jesus is. And we're really just walking slowly through the book of Matthew to understand who Jesus is, understanding what he teaches, seeing how his teachings kind of inform our life and how we can shape our life and get in line with Jesus and follow him better. Uh, so we're going to continue that series today. My name is Tom Ellenboss, if we haven't met, and uh, I'm a part of Harbor Churches. I'm not here every Sunday, uh, but I'm one of the pastors, and I, I work with uh, all the different churches, and I get a chance to kind of move around and, and see all the different places and kind of be a part of the family in different ways. So thanks for having me here this morning, and if you're new, we're really glad to have you here if, uh, if this is your first time. Uh, welcome to you. And uh, I'm glad to have you here. So Jordan uh, last week talked about, if you were here, talked about kind of two ways to live and really two ways to enter a city. Looking at that time that we call Palm Sunday when Jesus comes entering into Jerusalem. And you have Jesus coming on one side of the city and you have Pilate coming on the other side. And Jesus comes in humility and love and Pilate comes in uh, kind of an armed power, right? Jesus rides on a donkey, Pilate rides on a, on a white horse kind of as a, as a conqueror. And there, there's, there's this uh, contrast in the scriptures of the way of Jesus here and the way of Pilate in that story. Or, you know, if you zoom out a little further, it's like the way of Jesus and the way of Herod, or maybe a little further, it's Jesus in the way of Caesar. You get the point. It's like there's always this contrast of the way of Jesus and the ways of the world. So we're going to dig a little further into the into that uh, this morning as we talk a little bit about fruit. Uh, and we talk about what it looks like to live a fruitless life or to live a fruitful life uh, through the next story uh, of Jesus. It's in Matthew 21. So if you have a Bible and you want to open, I'm going to be in Matthew 21 this morning, starting about uh, verse 12. And uh, it'll come up on the screen too. So if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. If you don't have a Bible at all, we'd love to get you one. So make sure that you check with us afterwards. We'll make sure that you get a Bible and then you can dig in with us, not only on Sundays, uh, but, but during the week as well. So two questions I want to kind of frame this morning's teaching around. I'm going to come back to these at the end. But two, two phrases. The first one is this, is what are the dominant forms of power and authority that we have the opportunity to leverage in our world today? Okay, let me say that again. What are the dominant forms of power and authority that we have the opportunity to leverage in our world today? Now, we can talk about all kinds of other people, other people's power, but let's, let's think a little bit about what power do we have the opportunity to leverage? What are the options? And then the second question is, um, are those types of power producing fruit? It's one of the questions that Jesus is asking is, what kind of power are you leveraging? And is it producing the kind of fruit that will last that our God wants us to produce? So thinking about those questions, let's read the scriptures together. Matthew 21, 12 to 22. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. 
He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him, yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Early in the morning... As Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. As we think about prayer, let me pray, and then uh, we'll jump into some teaching around this, this scripture. Father God, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the words of Jesus. Uh, We thank you for the challenges that he gives to us. Uh, We thank you for the disciples' interactions and the others' interactions. And God, we ask that you would open up these scriptures to us today, that you would open up our hearts to you, that you would teach uh, uh, teach us about Jesus, teach us about the way of Jesus this morning. And we prayed in his name. Amen. So what I want to do is I want to take this story. Um, You've got Jesus coming into Jerusalem and... A little bit different Jesus than we often see. Jesus is overturning tables here. Jesus is driving people and animals out of the temple courts. Jesus is angry. It's a little different Jesus maybe than we're used to seeing. And then Jesus leaves and goes to a place called Bethany and he comes back. And, you know, it's kind of like you read this story and like, is Jesus in a bad mood or what? You know, because he comes back and he's hungry or he's, maybe he's hangry. I don't know. I get hangry sometimes. You know, and he sees this fig tree and he curses the fig tree and it withers. Uh, and then he gives us teaching the disciples. What is going on in this story? Well, I want to give you, uh, I want to give you some context uh, that I think will help us understand what's happening uh, in this story. So it was important for the Israelites uh, to come once a year to the temple. Uh, the big temple in Jerusalem is kind of the center of the Jewish faith. They would come once a year and they would, they would give sacrifices at the temple. And there's all these orders in the Old Testament about how to do that. Uh, there's specific animals that you bring. The animals had to be perfect. They had to not have a blemish on them. Uh, they would bring those and they would come and they would sacrifice for their sins uh, once a year. And if you were an Israelite bringing uh, your sacrifice every year, uh, depending on how much money you had, would depend what you had to offer. Because remember, these, this is an agrarian society for the most part. So a lot of farmers, you know, a lot of people living off the land, um, a lot of people, you know, living not paycheck to paycheck because there was no paycheck. It was living, you know, sheep to sheep and animal to animal. And so depending how much money you had depend on the kind of sacrifice um, that you gave, and, the, and that, that varied from person to person. And if you had to travel a long ways with an animal, now, now if, you've, if you have uh, done any farming with animals, you know that animals aren't always the easiest um, to manage perfectly. And so to imagine, imagine like having a, 
an animal with no blemishes at all. Uh, now, I've, I've seen uh, 4-H shows, you know, where you, you know, kids are you know, taking care of these animals almost like they're pets, and they bring this, you know, maybe unblemished. But it, it's kind of hard because especially sheep, they don't listen so well. You know, and so maybe the sheep gets caught up in something. Maybe it tears something. Um, so getting a perfect animal, having a perfect animal, first of all, is one thing. But then getting a perfect animal many, many miles, because they would travel on foot a long ways, to get to Jerusalem, to bring a perfect sacrifice was pretty hard. Um, so one of the things that happened was that um, instead of bringing your own sacrifice and animal to the temple, often you would go to the temple and you would purchase your animal there. Okay? So there, there were these places where you could buy an acceptable animal um, just outside the temple. You could, uh, you could purchase what you needed. It, the story mentions that Jesus, Jesus even overturned tables with doves. There's a, um, there's a special kind of story about those people who can't afford very much. They could offer two doves instead, right? And so, so there's all these different kind of categories of animals that you could afford, and you would buy those animals instead of bring them there. Now, so that so that's kind of what's happening is there's uh, there's this marketplace, right, where where the Israelites can come and purchase their animals for sacrifice. That's part of the story of what's what's going on here. This, another uh, piece that that is mentioned in the story is money changers. Money changers. What's a money changer? Well, if you take a look at the money from the time, Caesar uh, had his image on the coin. And Israelites are really concerned about bringing graven images, icons, uh, idols, right, into the temple. And so you would be able to exchange the money of Rome because you didn't want to bring Rome into the holy place of the temple. And so there were also money changers here, and they would change out the money for you so that you didn't take the graven image into the temple. So these are kind of normal things, right? The money changer piece is an okay thing. We're shifting out money, so we're not bringing Caesar into the temple. And we're buying uh, an animal that's unblemished to sacrifice. These are kind of normal things. So why is Jesus angry? What does Jesus get upset about that he ends up turning over these tables, driving out the money changers, and driving out the animals? So it's a it's a good question. We need a little bit of an architectural understanding of the temple here uh, to get a sense of this. So outside of the temple's gates um, is a, a place that's called Robinson's Arch. And near this arch is where there was this whole marketplace. And there were stalls that were set up. And you've, maybe you've been to one of these marketplaces, right, where there's different all these different stalls. And all these stalls were set up with architecture. Uh, um, archaeologists have found this and seen that there was, for a long time, people would buy their animals there. They would exchange money there. But there's something else. So what happens, I'm going to give you, so this picture here of the, of the temple. Um, see the big, huge court of the Gentiles? Okay? That's not where the market was. The market was outside the walls of the temple. The temple's built in a really interesting thing. It's kind of like um, circles inside of circles. Actually, squares inside of squares, I guess, right? Um, squares inside of squares. And at the very center was the presence of God. At least that's how they understood it, right? Uh, in history, God had come in into the center of the temple. A long story around that. We won't get into all that. But then there were uh, places for the priests outside of that, places for the sacrifice out of that. And so there were places that you were allowed into and places that you weren't allowed into, depending on kind of who you were and your place in uh, the order of the religion. But what's the biggest place in the temple? You can see it. What's the biggest place? It's the court of the Gentiles. 
Okay? It was built that way on purpose. God gave explicit directions on how to build this temple. And the court of the Gentiles is the largest place, these huge courts. And the market was supposed to be outside of those courts because the court of the Gentiles is a very interesting place. Okay, um, Inside the smaller areas where a lot of the religious stuff happened, but the court of the Gentiles is a place for the world to gather. In fact, when you get into the book of, of Acts and you find out that there's all these, all these people who are God-fearers who are coming to the temple that are not followers of God yet, they come into the court of the Gentiles and they're kind of like, they're observing what's happening. They're invited in. They're brought into a circle. It's the place where the world gathers around the, the religious community that's centered around the God of the universe. And God designed it that way. It was meant to be a court for the Gentiles. Now, Gentile, what's that word mean if you're not familiar with it? Gentiles means non-Jew. So the Jews are the people who ethnically grew up, grew up following God, right? And they became a part of the covenant. And then there's the Gentiles who are not necessarily ethnically Jewish, but maybe they could become God followers. Because way back, God had said, I want to be God to all the people, not just the Jews, I want to be the God to everybody. And so, Abraham, I'm going to send you to be God of everybody, all the Gentiles. And the Bible often talks about those people as God-fearers, right? The people who... So this is like a... What's the best... What's a good way to say this? It's kind of like where the... It's like the outreach courts, maybe is a good way to say it, right? It's a, if the church is the center of the temple, this is kind of... The, this is the block party place, Right? This is the place where we engage with people who are not a part of us because we want them to become God-fearers. We want, to get the, them, they, we want them to get to know the Lord. This is the place for the marginalized. This is the place for the outsiders. This is the place for the people who are most needy. It's also the place that we find that the blind and the lame and those who of the time were seen as maybe unclean, who would come and they would seek healing because they believed that God's presence was at the center and they would come in and say, we, we need God's healing. We want God's healing. Okay, so you have the market outside and then you have the court of the Gentiles. What had happened during this time is that the market bled into the court of the Gentiles. Now you might be like, well, whatever. That's okay. But to Jesus, that wasn't okay. This is a, not, he wasn't opposed to the sacrifices being sold or the money changing, but that was brought into a place that was designated for those who were outsiders. So why does Jesus get so angry in the temple courts and start overturning tables and making even a whip? We read that in one of the other gospels and driving people out. I think he's angry for two reasons. First one's this. This is supposed to be the place of prayer and sacrifice, Jesus says, but they have turned it into a den of robbers. You see, instead of making it a place for including people and connecting people, they turned it into a marketplace to sell, sell things. They turned the place into uh, a place to take advantage of people. In fact, what was happening was not just selling doves to those who were poor, selling sacrifices that were unblemished. It was a way to jack up the prices, uh, to to take advantage of the very people that God was trying to make space for. They were leveraging the temple, leveraging the, the faith, leveraging religion for personal gain, and Jesus gets angry about it, and he clears the courts. 
Now, almost immediately, if you notice in the story, as soon as he does that, the blind and the lame come to him. Like, there's, as soon as he makes space, those who are marginalized come to Jesus. Secondly, I think he's angry because he cares about those who don't have a voice, the blind and lame who come to him. Jesus cares about those who don't have power, those who don't have access, those who don't have money, those who don't have health and wealth and opportunity. That's why the court is so big. Because the heart of God is for those who are outside. And so he makes a place for the outsiders to become insiders. One of the ways I like to think about it is like, it's like a place at the table. If the table's full of only insiders, nobody can come sit at the table. And God says, no, 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 no. We're going to make a big table. We're going to make a big table so that everybody can sit at the table. So that everybody has a place at the table. And what happens is the place gets squished by people who try to take monetary advantage of the system. Hey, we can make some money on these people. Now, that never happens in our world, right? I mean, sound familiar? The ancient world is not that different than our world, right? Where's a place where people are needy, where we can take advantage of their needs for monetary gain? It's a kind of power and manipulation, right, of the very people that God has a heart for. And so Jesus gets angry at that and says, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is supposed to be a place of prayer, a place of praise, a place for the marginalized, and you have turned it into a den of robbers. You've turned it into a thing about you, and it's not about you gaining money. It's about making space for other people. And so Jesus gets angry. And as soon as he clears this, there's this beautiful little interlude and kind of a juxtaposition. Children start singing. Isn't that cool? It's like all of a sudden the children go, hey, space again. The market has taken over and people have been objectified and Jesus pushes that out and you have joyful children. And then the juxtaposition is this. You have a bunch of angry old men, right? I'm not picking on old men. I am one, right? Um, But the chief priests and the teachers of the law are like, wait a minute. You're taking away what we're doing here, right? You're taking away our power and the children rejoice. You see, Jesus makes space for the marginalized. He makes space for the blind and the lame. He makes space for the children. And immediately they begin to sing and they begin to be joyful. Now, the title of this sermon and this message is Fruitless Living. And let me ask you this question. Where is there greater fruit here? Where do you see the fruit of God here? In the angry old men who are taking advantage of people? And it's probably just not old angry old men. It's other people too, right? Is the fruit there? Or is the fruit in the children and those who are coming, who are needy, who are trying to connect with God and be healed? I think the answer is pretty intuitive, but pay attention to this. Notice how those looking out for themselves are blocking other people from encountering God. You see that? The people who are looking out just for themselves are blocking other people from encountering God. Okay, so that's the first part of the story. It tells us a little bit why Jesus gets angry. I think there's more to it than that, but I think that's the real core of it, that something inside of Jesus goes, this is wrong, right? Like you've turned this place for outsiders who are supposed to find healing and transformation here. You've turned it into a marketplace. Okay, let me, I'm going to reread the second part of the story now. It's not going to come up on the screen. Well, unless you want to put it up there. That's cool. Uh, Starting at verse 17. Listen, 
That all happens. And then this. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Now, I, I sometimes like to imagine what's going on in Jesus' heart and mind, right? He just goes through this experience and now he's still upset, right? Have you, have you ever had that? Like you're, you're upset about something really important and it lingers, doesn't it? And Jesus is like, you know, I'm out of here. <laughs> I am not spending the night in Jerusalem. I'm going to move, and I'll tell you a little more, more about that in a minute, but let me finish reading this, okay? Early in the morning, so he goes to Bethany and spends the night, sleeps the night there. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, right? So he goes to sleep in Bethany, and then he comes back to Jerusalem. Um, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. So Matthew shifts here to a separate story, but I think the stories are really connected. You see, Jesus moves on to Bethany, um, and, and Matthew notes that, right? Because Jesus is back in Jerusalem in the next story, and he puts this little story of he goes to Bethany and the fig tree, and then he goes back in the city, and if you read on, Jesus is back in the city the next day, right? But Jesus um, slept on it, and he wakes up the morning, and he's, he's still upset. He's still carrying something with him as he goes back to the city, so now you might know this, like um, we, sometimes we talk about like different parts of town, you know, the place where the people live in the palatial homes, you know, the places that maybe it's, we don't want to go there because the people aren't like us. Uh, there are these different places of town and we think about different communities. Well, that was true also in this town, in this time. Bethany, interestingly, is a town whose name means house of misery, it was, a, it was a village of outsiders. It was a place where the lame were gathered, and it was a place where, uh, where people were a little more needy. And this is the place, guess what, where some of Jesus' closest friends lived. Heard of uh, the Marys and Lazarus and all that story, maybe? They lived in Bethany. And this is the place where Jesus goes to spend time with the people that he's connected with. This is where the broken, the hurt, and the excluded are. As I was reading this and thinking through it, I was like, it's kind of like the, uh, how many of you have seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Island of the Misfit Toys? Right? Maybe you haven't seen it, but you get an idea, right? This is a little bit like the Island of the Misfit Toys, which I feel a little more comfortable with, and maybe you do too. Right? This is the place that Jesus goes. He says, I'm going to go be with my people. I'm going to step out of Jerusalem. I'm going to go be with the, the people that, that are more connected to me. Jesus wants to be with these people in the time when he's frustrated. He wants to be with this group of people, this place known as the house of misery. And so that happens. And then, and then he gets up in the morning and is on his way back to Jerusalem. And there's this fig tree and Jesus is hungry and he curses it and it, and it withers. What's, what's going on there? Okay. I think it's connected. I think it's connected. Let, let, let me share with you why I think so. And we'll see, right? A couple things. First, um, God promises this land to Israel long, long ago, 
with Abraham and the promised land. And the promised land will be a place that is incredibly abundant and flourishing with wheat and barley and dates and grapes and olives and pomegranates and figs. And figs in some ways represent Israel uh, in, in a number of different ways. And so when Jesus is on his way to Bethany and then coming back, um, he goes through a place. You can see the map. Uh, he goes through a place called Bethpage. On the map there, you'll see it. Um, this place called Bethpage, uh, it means this, house of the early fig. Isn't that interesting? House of the early fig. So uh, you can kind of intuit what that's about. So I said we went apple picking yesterday. Now, my family, we always wait till the end of September to go apple picking. But there are those crazy people who go in August already, Right? When the first, that's crazy, right? You need to wait till it's at least like 65 degrees or less to go apple picking because you got to do the whole fall thing and the pumpkins, you know. That's my theory. I'm a little bit snobbish about my apples. But anyway, uh, you can go in August. It's the early harvest, right? And, and, and there's this, uh, there's this, uh, this, so this year there's, um, I just nerd about this a little bit on the side for you. Is that okay? Nerdy. So in, in August, they kind of predict how, what's the apple like orchard harvest going to be like. I just read this. This is fascinating. This year, uh, um, so get your apples this year because there's plenty of them. Like you can eat as many as you want. Uh, this year in August, they predicted in Michigan 29.5 million bushels of apples. A lot of apples, isn't it? Way above average apparently, right? So I would guess that in Beth Page... Since it's the place of the early fig, right? What happens in Bethpage happens in the rest of the promised land. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like you, you measure the orchard by the early harvest, right? Just like we, we knew in August there was going to be this huge apple uh, production in Michigan this year. They would know in Bethpage from the early harvest how the figs are doing. So imagine all this in Jesus' mind. I mean, Jesus is... I imagine this is all happening in Jesus, and he's coming through Best Page, and this is the place of the early figs, and there are no figs. There is no fruit. Now imagine what Jesus has just gone through. He's frustrated with the fruit of what's happening on the Temple Mount, in the Temple. He's frustrated that Israel isn't doing what Israel is supposed to do. Israel isn't producing the fruit that it's supposed to, fruit, supposed to produce. Instead of fruit full living, it's this fruitless, I'm going to grab my own and take advantage kind of living. And I think this story falls right where it does for a couple of reasons. Jesus spends that day before. He goes to the temple. He expects to pray, to sacrifice, to connect with people in the court of Gentiles, to heal people. But instead, he experiences his children being exploited and stolen from and pushed out of the courts that were designed for him. Jerusalem, hear me, has become like a fruitless fig tree. The early fruit isn't there. And Jesus is frustrated. What happened to my temple? There's something else going on here. Right after this episode, Jesus talks about throwing a mountain into the sea, right? You heard me say that? He says, you see this mountain. Uh, if you have faith, you can throw this mountain into the sea. A little more geography. As you're walking along that path between Bethany and Jerusalem, there's a mountain that you would see, and it's a mountain they all knew about. It's a, it's a man-made mountain. Do you remember Herod the Great? 
who's talked about early on in the story of Jesus. Uh, well, Herod wanted to have a mountain with a palace on the top of it. And there wasn't the right mountain for him. So he's like, I'm really important. I can do whatever I want. So guess what he does? He builds a mountain. I don't, sorry, I don't have a picture of it this morning. But it's a huge feat of engineering. It shows his prowess. And he used tons of slaves from the local area. Of course, the marginalized, the people he could take advantage of, to build this huge... He wanted, to, he wanted to build an amazing palace and fortress that you could see from everywhere, and you can see it from all around. And as Jesus is walking along, frustrated about how power has been distorted in the temple, frustrated that this early fig isn't producing figs, he now sees this mountain that represents the kind of exploitation and power of the world that he's been working against. Do you see what's going on inside of Jesus? Now I asked you in the beginning, why is Jesus angry? Well, Jesus came to restore the kingdom of God, right? And he's doing that. He's teaching. We've watched him teach about it. We've watched him heal. We've watched him preach parables of the kingdom. He's, he's trying to draw people into the kingdom. And on this day, or in this 48 hours, or whatever it is, 36 hours, Jesus encounters the very center of the faith, corrupted, in which the court of the Gentiles is filled with exploitation and exclusion. And then he leaves to clear his head to Bethany. And on his way back, he sees the power of the world creeping in against his kingdom. I think what is going on in Jesus is he's seeing what Jordan talked about last week. There are two ways to enter a city. There are two kinds of power, and there are kingdoms in conflict. You see, Jesus came to bring a different kind of kingdom, an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom of healing and inclusion and embrace and love, a kingdom that would last and a kingdom in which the last would be first, a kingdom in which the children would rejoice, a kingdom in which the lame would walk again and the blind would see again and the deaf would hear again, a kingdom with hospitality for outsiders, a new kingdom with new values. And then he has these experiences. And I think what's going on in Jesus is that he recognizes that at this moment in history, the temple has lost its power. Or it's exchanged its power for the power of the world. Instead of being a place of sacrifice and inclusion and encounter and prayer, it's become a place that exploits people in the service of wealth and power. Do you hear me? Nothing like our world, right? Do you see the echoes? 2,000 years, a lot hasn't changed, right? The world still seeks to exploit people in the service of wealth and power. And we're going to call that this morning fruitless living. You see, there are two kinds of power. The kind of power that Jesus advocates for is the power of prayer and the power of faith and the power of sacrifice. Jesus taps into the love of God here. He says this is supposed to be a place where, where you pray. Prayer isn't some like liturgical rote thing that you do to be obedient. Prayer is connection with God. You see, Jesus is saying, this is the place where people encounter the living God and he transforms their life. And because of their faith, their life is changed. Their sicknesses are healed. Their slavery is, is, is exchanged for freedom. The chains are broken. 
You see, what Jesus is advocating here is radical. It's radical. First of all, he's turning power upside down. The power that you see in the world, the one that takes, the one that puts self over others, the one that doesn't care about other people. Jesus says that's fruitless. Let's turn that upside down. The power Jesus encouraged is a dependent power. Dependent on God, dependent on faith, dependent on other people, dependent on prayer. So first of all, he's turning things upside down. But secondly, he's making space for people. He's making room for people. He's specifically making room for those of us who are from the island of misfit toys. Jesus is specifically saying, if you are part of the marginalized, if you felt like you don't belong, that's garbage. You belong. You're included. In fact, I made the court the biggest for you. Come, all you who are weary and heaven laden, and I will give you rest. So in other words, Jesus seems to say that fruitless living comes from exploitation and exclusion. But he says fruitful living then comes from generosity and inclusion. Do you see the difference? Fruitless living from exploitation and exclusion. Fruitful living, generosity, and inclusion. I wonder... Back to us, okay? Back to us. I wonder, in what ways are we living in exploitative and excluding ways? In fact, if you, um, if you look at what makes God angry in the Bible, what makes Jesus angry, it's often when the, we use the word marginalized, when the marginalized are excluded and exploited. You want to see what makes God angry? You know, I hear a lot about God being angry about sin. He is, right? And that's there. But more often than not, God is really angry when we exploit and we exclude. He is an embracing and loving God. One of my, um, I think I've maybe mentioned him before, but one of my spiritual mentors uh, is a guy named Henry Nowen. He died in the 90s, but his books have been mentoring for me. And um, I've read a bunch of his books, and I've noticed in, in all of his books, he talks about making space. Not only making space in your heart, but he talks about what does it look like to make space for other people in the world, 